It's an honor to speak to you on Mother's Day. I am having a baby. Thank you. Thank you. That's why they wanted me to speak. It's a gimmick. Uh, <laughs> he is, his name is Ander. You can call him Andy. Uh, he's supposed to be here in two weeks, but if I wrap up a little early, we'll all know why. Uh, <laughs> we've been in a series called Signs of Life, um, and this is our fourth week of the series, and today we're going to talk about beauty. And uh, our series, um, over the past four weeks, we've been hearing about things that are necessary for a full resurrected life. And I thought to, to introduce kind of my topic today, I'd talk a little bit about what that means, to me anyway. Um, that's a good disclaimer to make right now. Um, all this is just what all this means to me, so it might mean something different to you, and maybe you can take something away from it, and that's a little bit about what we're going to talk about later. So um, let's talk about the resurrected life for a minute. Uh, humanity is fallen from the original state that God created it to be in. We all know the story in Genesis is the first story we read in the Bible. When you open to page one, it's, it's Genesis. God created this. We did this, right? So um, I found this old kind of definition of sin by St. Augustine, and it's homo in curvatus in se. And if you speak Latin, don't make fun of me for pronouncing that funny. Um, but it means man turned up in upon himself. And a lot of people think that that was attributed to Martin Luther because he quotes it in a quote that he uh, made in a talk on Romans um, where he said, Our nature by the corruption of the first sin being so deeply curved in on itself that it not only bends the best gifts of God toward itself and enjoys them, or rather even uses God himself to, or to order and attain these gifts, but it also fails to realize that it so wickedly, curvedly, and viciously seeks all things, even God, for its own sake. So Jesus provided a resurrected life for us in the fact that he came and became the ultimate sacrifice, atoning for that sin, atoning for those things that we did wrong, and restoring creation to its original state and potentially to its original form um, and making that life attainable for us individually every day. Uh, Paul says in the letter to the Corinthian church, the first one, he says, oh death, where is your victory? Death, where is your sting? For sin is the sting that results in death and the law gives sin its power but thank God he gives us victory over sin and death through our Lord Jesus Christ. So today I have an incredible opportunity to talk to you a little bit about a beautiful life. And in this talk, I'm probably going to use the words beauty, art, creativity uh, interchangeably just for today. So let's just go with it. We'll just go with it. Um, and it's, I'm going to tell a story. I'm going to start by telling a story. And this story is from Mako Fujimura. Um, this picture on the screen that we're going to put up is called Consider the Lilies. This is a painting by Mako that he has at the beginning of the book of Matthew, and he's done this beautiful book of illuminated gospels that you should really check out if you are into the Bible a lot, and you like to have different kinds of Bibles, but you like art. It's a nice book. Um, but he wrote a couple other books. He wrote a book called Refractions, and he wrote a book called Culture Care. And this uh, story starts the book Culture Care. He says, as a newlywed couple, my wife and I began our journey with very little. 
after Judy and I got married in the summer of 1983, after college, we moved to Connecticut for Judy, Judy to pursue her master's degree in marriage counseling. I, thought, I taught at a special education school and painted at home, and we had a tight budget and often had to ration our food to get through the week. Lots of tuna cans. One evening, I'm sitting alone waiting for Judy to come home to our small apartment, worried about how we're going to afford the rent to pay for necessities over the weekend. Our refrigerator's empty, and I have no cash left. And then Judy walks in, and she's brought home a bouquet of flowers. And I get really upset. How could you think of buying flowers if we can't even eat? I remember saying frustrated. And Judy's reply has been etched into my heart for over 30 years now. She said, we need to feed our souls too. And the irony is that I am an artist. This is Mako speaking still. I'm the one supposedly feeding people's souls. But in worrying for tomorrow, in the stoic responsibility I feel to make ends meet to survive, I fail to be the artist. Judy is the artist. She brings home a bouquet. I do not remember what we ended up eating that day or that month. Probably tuna fish. <laughs> and he says, is Judy right? Do we as human beings need more than food and shelter? Do we need beauty in our lives? And given our limited resources, how do we cultivate and care for our souls? So my point today that I want you to go home with is that beauty is necessary for soul care, and soul care is necessary for a fulfilled and resurrected life. Finding and creating beauty in the world is inherent to our most basic human makeup. It's a a significant part of higher thinking. And every time we create art, every time we engage art or creativity or complex thinking, we're using the brain that God has given us that he hasn't given anything else. It's complex. And my husband, Mikel, always says this, and it sticks with me, and I tell it to everyone. You probably all have heard it before. But he says, the, first thing, the very first thing we read in the Bible is that God is creative. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And the very first thing we read about ourselves in the Bible is that God has made us like God. We are creative. And it says, let us make man in our image after our likeness. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. So what happened? What happened to us? If we're like God, then why struggle? Why, why are we selfish? Why do we turn in on ourselves? Why homo incurvatus in se? Why sin? Why do we choose sin instead of being like God, the way he created us to be? Well, we, made, we messed up. And Jesus had to come and redeem us. And because of that, we have this incredible chance to engage beauty in the world around us. And beauty is the thing, think about it, the beauty around us that either we create or someone else creates is the thing that turns us out from ourselves and lifts our eyes up and makes us see the world and see people. And hopefully the way that God sees people, right? So I got three points. It won't take very long. We're going to blaze through them. Everybody still all right? You tracking? Okay. Um, the first point is that beauty is powerful. Beauty can provoke, 
It can move, it can teach, and good beauty, good art, good creativity can do three different things. At the very first like base layer, uh, beauty can evoke, it can reveal the subject. It can tell you about what you're looking at or what you're hearing. Um, this, this happens with sense memories. Robbie talked about that last week, whenever he hears the song, that, that Michael W. Smith song, it, make, it takes him back to a place where he remembers falling in love and he feels all warm and fuzzy, and it just takes a few notes of that song, doesn't it? It doesn't take very much of that song. So this is what beauty can do. It can, it can reveal, it can evoke these things about, about things around us. It can do the second thing, which is invoke which is reveal the subject, what it's talking about, or the flowers that Mako painted. And it can also reveal a little bit about the artist. Um, this is when art requires the additional license or authority of the artist, meaning that it has the revelatory power of being individualized in that person. And this is still outside ourselves. Is that making sense? This is sort of prophecy. This is sort of a, a base kind of layer of prophecy. When we hear something about something, but it also tells us about what the, what the speaker is observing in that thing. Um, there are many interpretations needed. God is too big, too complex for prophecy, and for all prophecy and understanding to come through one artist or one person or one pastor or any of that. So we'll talk about that a little later. Um, but the third thing that art can do is provoke. And this is the, the transcendent kind of deepest level of this. The third level of this is that it can reveal the subject, it can reveal the artist or the person speaking, and it can reveal something about ourself, the observer. Art can be provocative. It can be offensive and prophecy can be offensive. And in that offense, people tend to learn more about themselves than they do about the art or the artist. Jesus did this through parables constantly. It's like almost all we have of what he says. It's like he tells story after story. The kingdom of heaven is like this. Um, he says, imagine a vineyard. Like, use your imagination. Like, that not only tells us about a vineyard, it not only tells us about Jesus' observations about the vineyard, it tells us about ourselves and how we interact with the kingdom. So Jesus did this all the time. So beauty is powerful. The second point I want to make is that beauty is peaceful, and it can bring peace where peace cannot otherwise be found. In 1 Samuel 16, uh, the Bible says, Whenever the harmful spirit from God was upon Saul, David took the lyre and played it with his hand, which is like a harp. So David's playing music. And he says, so Saul was refreshed and was well, and the harmful spirit departed from him. It brought him peace in that moment. And uh, beauty is peaceful. I want to say this. Beauty is not always peaceful. Art is not always peaceful. I'm saying art has the capacity to bring peace with it. So um, in that sense, beauty is very... Uh, changing, and it has a lot of power, like we said in the first point. So that's my third point, is that beauty is prophetic. Um, it takes more than one interpretation 
of any given thing to reveal the multifaceted nature of God that we can never understand beginning to end. There are many interpretations needed. It's important to draw in the sand. That's Bono, uh, the lead singer of U2, and this guy named David Taylor, who's um, an associate professor at Fuller Theological Seminary. That's why he asks about what he would say to a room full of pastors. But we're, all, we're the priesthood of all believers, right? Yeah, there we go. Uh, <laughs> there are people here? Oh, great. Okay, cool, cool, cool. Um, so God is too complex for understanding to come through one person or group. Uh, beauty and art can provoke, and it's provocative, and it reveals the subject, the artist, and the observer, and it tells us about ourselves. Art can be provocative, it can be offensive, and prophecy can be offensive. And in that offense, people tend to learn more about themselves than they do about the art or the artist. Have you ever heard that saying, what Susie says about Sally says more about Susie than it does about Sally? You heard that saying? So that's what prophecy is. That's what art, great transcendent art does. It tells you something, but it makes you learn about yourself. Bono says the job of the prophet is to describe the state of the soul or the soul of the city. And I'm going to take it further and say to point out the state of culture. And we see that a lot in modern art. We see that in the graffiti that covers. We see in the first video we saw a city, a whole city painted like over every inch of it, all the graffiti on the sides of those buildings. And we see it constantly everywhere around us if we just open our eyes to it. We see that in comedy, in comedy shows. Comedians are probably the closest equivalent to a modern day prophet. They point out in a blunt, sometimes provocative, sometimes offensive, sometimes vulgar way, what's going on? What's happening? All they do is write jokes, but they, they observe. They have to observe the world around them to do that. Um, so beauty is prophetic, and it's offensive sometimes. It's not always peaceful. But do your work anyway. Seek it out anyway. Draw in the sand. Look for the drawings in the sand. Whether you're an artist or whether you're not, listen to this, uh, this verse from Luke chapter 4. It talks about Jesus coming back to Nazareth where he had been brought up. And as was his custom, he went to the synagogue. He was given a scroll from the, from the prophet Isaiah. And he unrolled the scroll and found the place in it where it was written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he's anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives, recovering of sight to the blind, set at liberty those who are oppressed, and proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And he rolled up the scroll and he gave it back to the attendant and sat down. And the eyes of all the synagogue were fixed on him and he began to say to them, Today this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. I am that person that Isaiah was talking about. And they are all excited. They're all raving. They're like, oh, this is Joseph's son. We know him. And he's done all these amazing works. He's done these miracles and these great, mighty works. And he's going to come back here and do them for us as well. And he says, no, no, no. Doubtless you will quote me this. 
Proverbs saying, Physician, heal yourself. And he said, Truly I say to you, no prophet is acceptable in his hometown. But there were many widows in Israel in the days of Elijah when the heavens were shut up three years and six months, and a great famine came over all the land. And Elijah was sent to none of them, but only to Zarephath in the land of Sidon to a woman who was a widow. And there were many lepers in Israel at the time of the prophet Elisha, and none of them was cleansed, but only Naaman the Syrian the oppressor. And when they heard these things, all in the synagogue were filled with wrath. They went from amazement and awe to straight up wrath. And he said, they rose up and drove him out of the town and brought him to the brow of the hill on which their town was built so that they could throw him down the cliff. But passing through their midst, he went away. Thank God. (laughs) This is one of the more inflammatory things that Jesus says in the Bible at all, full stop. Um, He was performing miracles and saying with full confidence that he's this incarnate fulfillment of the prophecy of Isaiah. But the instant he senses that the religious leaders are wanting to use this notoriety and these great works to bring notoriety to themselves or their hometown, he pushes against it. He pushes against it so hard they want to throw him off a cliff. Insane. He wasn't doing his prophetic, spirit filled work the way they thought he should, and it offended them. But Jesus refuses to allow, listen to this Jesus refuses to allow the works of God to be turned inward upon themselves. He refuses to allow the good, awesome, incredible miracles that he's doing in the name of God to be turned inward on a specific person or group of people or even himself. This kind of brings me to my conclusion, which is that, again, beauty is necessary for soul care and soul care is necessary for a fulfilled, resurrected life. In Ecclesiastes chapter 3, it says, What gain... This is beautiful, and if you can get this, it's amazing. What gain has a worker from his toil? I have seen the business that God has given to the children of man to be busy with. He has made everything beautiful in its time. Also, he's put put eternity into man's heart, yet so that he cannot find out what God has done from beginning to the end. I perceive that there is nothing better for them than to be joyful and to do good as long as they live. Also, that everyone should eat and drink and take pleasure in all his toil. This is God's gift to man. I perceived that whatever God does endures forever and nothing can be added to it nor anything taken from it. God has done it so that people fear before him. That which is already has been, that which is to be already has been. And God seeks what's been driven away. He brings it back. So there's no way that we can understand fully what God is up to. And there's no way that we could ever, ever, ever grasp a picture of what God wants to do in all and through all from beginning to end. There's, some people might interpret that as kind of depressing. But I think that there's a beautiful freedom to be found in that. 
We cannot fully understand God. We must never stop looking for God to reveal God's self to us. We must never stop looking for the revelation of God through others. We must constantly fight the fallen urge to be turned inward upon ourselves. And we have to look up and we have to look out and we have to look for drawings in the sand. We have to draw in the sand so that everyone else can see them too. Not everyone in this room is an artist. Maybe not even very many of us are, consider ourselves artists. So let me say this to those of us who are not. Um, maybe we think of beauty as something that at best we can enjoy from time to time when our schedules allow. Maybe we think of our day-to-day -day life as drudgery and monotony and decidedly unbeautiful. But God makes everything beautiful in its time. And we have to draw in the sand anyway. And if you're uninspired to draw in the sand, write in the sand. And if you're uninspired to do that, look for a drawing in the sand or look for a writing in the sand. Do your work anyway. Part of living that resurrected, beautiful life is recognizing God's beauty and letting it turn us outward and uncurl us to see the world as God does. And in Matthew 22, a lawyer asked Jesus, Teacher, what is the great commandment in the law? And he said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and your soul and your mind, and this is the great and first commandment. And the second is like it, You shall love your neighbor as yourself. And on these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. And that's it. That's the opposite of sin. That's the opposite of what we're not supposed to do. So that's what we're supposed to do. So my, excuse my double negative there. That's what we're supposed to do. We're supposed to love God and we're supposed to love people. And if sin looks like homo incurvatus in se, like a person turned in upon themselves, then fulfilling the greatest two commandments looks like this and like this, right? That's it. That's the fulfillment. That's the fulfillment of the new commandments. Love God, love people, look up, look out, create beauty and take it in. Constantly uncurl yourself. Would you stand with me? Let's stand up. I want to read this over you. Would you just put your hands like this? I want to read this as a benediction today. May the beauty of God be reflected in our eyes. May the love of God be reflected in your hands. The wisdom of God be reflected in your words and the knowledge of God flow from your heart that all might see and seeing believe. Amen.